Amanda Slim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And guys, I am in Spain without the S, okay? Coming back to work after the holidays is harder than being Club Chalamet in 2023. And surprisingly, so much internet has happened in these past two weeks. Paul Meskel has allegedly been running away from girls in the park. Steamboat Willie has entered the public domain, so James Cameron, get your underwater GoPro ready. Io Adebri posted a letterbox review of Saltburn and then deleted her profile pic and the review. Whoever made her do that, I will be seeing you in the Denny's parking lot. But I'd love to talk about some New Year's resolutions I've been seeing on your timelines. I've been seeing a lot of people saying they want to read more books in the new year. Some are saying they want to read less books in the new year. In fact, before the year ended, I heard a rumor that someone here at Slate.com had a revolutionary, controversial, and bold resolution to stop reading romance books in 2024. And I was shocked, but intrigued, because I am going to embrace who I am on this pod and say that I am a romance reader. I love them. Jasmine Guillory, Emily Henry, Helen Huang. I am one of your girls. I also acknowledge that the romance genre has some flaws. You know, first, The Ripped Bodice published their diversity in romance report, and in 2022, only 12.3% of romance novels were written by authors of color. And that's not the only type of diversity they lack. Gender, sexuality, neurodivergence, class. These still have narrow spaces in romance novels— which is disheartening because those are the protagonists that readers identify with and want to see. I'll also tell you that I only started reading romance novels in college, and what stopped me from jumping in sooner was the stigma that the genre romance, those mass market books in the supermarket with Fabio types on the cover, were meant to be laughed at or hidden away in the back of a Barnes & Noble. And I have to wonder if this sheltering of the genre came from... Men not approving of it because the authors of those genres are usually women. But I do think all of these barriers to the genre are coming down for a few reasons. One, romance novels have kind of done away with like the ripped horseman cover and gone towards the bubblier, softer, illustrated cover. Second, I think the internet and especially the rise of self published ebooks has allowed more romance novels to enter the space. And lastly, Romance was the fastest growing genre of fiction in 2023, selling 39 million copies that year. Romance novels are now the biggest category of fiction, generating over $1.4 billion in sales revenue. So on today's show, I'm going to talk to a certain Slate staffer who said (laughs) they're banning romance books in 2024. We're going to talk about how the internet and book talk has brought the genre into the mainstream and whether you can really quit romance because Tessa Bailey, I wish I knew how to quit you. We'll be back after a break. Hey, listeners, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode. And we're back. So joining me today is Slate Senior Editor Rebecca Onion. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So 
If I am the bouncer of the club ICYMI, then I do have to ask the question that we ask all guests, which is, what was your first internet memory, Rebecca? I don't know if it counts or not. Um, Chatting with my friends in the computer lab at my high school, chatting back and forth over some extremely basic text-based messaging system where we were literally just like, we'd be sitting next to each other, (laughs) writing back and forth. Oh, I saw him in the hallway. He's out there. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of about crushes. I think that's my first internet memory. (laughs) I love that. So today, we are talking about romance novels. And we brought you on because this is your genre. This is your beat that you don't get paid to cover. And guess what? Same, Rebecca. Same. (laughs) I want to ask you, How did you begin your romance novel journey? Like, do you remember the first book you picked up, the first author you loved? Talk to me about those early days. (laughs) She would hate for me to say this, but it was Diana Gabaldon Mm. with her Outlander series. Mm. I say she would hate for me to say it because she says Outlander is not a romance series. No way. Which is like, you know, a respectability thing, interestingly. Um, because it is, I mean, it, there are some ways in which she's right, you know, it's like a long series and there's a lot of other stuff in it that's not the like central romance. Um, right. But the, it is like hot and heavy in there, especially those first couple of books. Yes. Um, and I think I read it because I someone recommended it to me as historical fiction. And then I read oh. it and I was like, what is this? <laughs> what yeah. is happening in here? I don't even think it's the sex is that explicit, but the central tension of will they, won't they, or, oh my God, now they're like fake married or real married, like by convenience. And now they have to is like such a romance novel vibe. And so that was my first sort of, you know, staying up late at night, sitting up like way too late on the couch, um, reading it after everybody had gone to bed kind of experience. Oh, yeah. Do you remember how old you were or like where in school you were? Oh, you know what? It's kind of funny. I was old, you know? Oh. So this was when I was in my early 30s. Okay. Because um, okay. up until that point, I, I thought of romance novels as something that I would be wasting my time to read, you know? Yeah. Um, and I didn't really pick them up for that reason. I did want to ask you a little bit about genre definition and how you define the romance genre. Because, you know, for me, I sometimes see publishers distinguish some books as women's fiction, some books as romance. And I remember seeing that Sally Rooney's Normal People was categorized as women's fiction. But I would see people on Twitter be like, no, 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 that's a romance. And I was like, huh. Okay, interesting. And so I wanted to ask, what is your line on the category split? And do you think there is still some like genre reticence when it comes to defining a book as a romance or even calling a writer a romance writer? Definitely. I definitely think there is. I mean, I think this this question has obviously been like kind of done to death a little bit. And I sort of feel like in some ways, the fact that we're still talking about it is like no matter how many times you can say, oh, you know, the genre is respectable or, mm-hmm, you know, it's okay mm-hmm. to call Sally Rooney's book a romance. Um, there's still like some feeling of like transgression when you're doing it. There's like other literary fiction books that are, um, you know, that are genre books. Like, uh, you know, Jonathan Lethem is like a science fiction writer who is a literary writer. Um, and then when his books come out, it's like, is this a book about an apocalypse or is it a book about, you know, is it a, like a literary novel? Um, and there's like a million examples like that in like science fiction and horror and like those other kinds of um, genres or even in, like a crime writing or mystery like Tana French is a writer who's like 
really literary and very like sort of like beautifully constructed mystery books. But with romance, I'm not sure that people who are romance writers would necessarily uh, like endorse this definition. But I feel like there's something like about the way the plot has to be in a romance novel that's a little bit more constrictive. Like all these other genres I'm mentioning, like uh, science fiction or horror that have literary crossovers, the plot seems like it can have a little bit more room to be different. But in a romance, at least the ones that I've encountered so far, (laughs) and there could be ones that are not like this, it's, you know, a person meets a person and obstacles are overcome. And then, you know, they're meant to be together. Um, And so there's a big debate over whether there needs to be a happily ever after or not for it to be a romance novel. But I think what you can't do without is the idea that the central question is like, are these people who are powerfully attracted to one another going to figure out how to overcome, you know, the fact that one is a werewolf and one is a demon or whatever, (laughs) or like the fact that, you know, one of them is a 1940s war nurse and one of them is a uh, 18th century Scottish Highlander. Um, Like, will these things be overcome so that they will be together? And most of the time, the answer is yes. If there's anything about the constrictiveness of that form that, kind of like puts me off a little bit. It's not even the happily ever after. It's the way it's always about the beginning of a relationship or like the initial kind of like building of the relationship. Most of the books are, I think all of the books that I've read have been about sort of like the initial chemistry and like how that chemistry comes up against life and how the people navigate like the chemistry to make life work, which is again, it's like a a sort of more of a constrictive form than Mm -hmm a lot of other types of plots. I went to the exact same place when I was trying to ask myself, how do I define romance? Because I first went to the HEA, the happily ever after, and the fact that, like, for example, if you wanted to say Hunger Games was a romance, you absolutely could because they, uh, Katniss, Pita, Gail, if you want, they are basically fighting every force possible to get back to each other. And the hanging question above the entire series is, Peta or Gail? And I do love that the internet is still asking this question in 2024. You know, it shows that storylines about love do have this, like, staying power. And that brings me to the actual reason we brought you on today, which is that you were pitching something in a slate meeting, and you ended your pitch with the words, my bad relationship to romance books in 2023. And I was so intrigued. Talk to me about this. What is your take on romance books last year? So in 2023, I think I read uh, two or three romance novels per week. And so Mm. I, I did this in part because this was the year that I finally figured out how to use the library apps Libby and Hoopla, which the Athens County Public Library very kindly connects (laughs) us to here in Athens, Ohio. And so a lot of these books that I read or listened to were free. So that's part of what finally sort of like affected me to this. And I started with like a Lisa Kleypas binge. While they're mostly historical, although she does have a contemporary series uh, set in Texas. Um, but they're mostly historical set in the UK, as mm-hmm. every romance reader, novelist usually does. Yeah. Um, compared to some romance novels, they are pretty high quality. Like <laughs> she does a lot of historical research and yeah. gets really into it. But it's also like, um, there's more sex in it in a way that I like. Like, I like there to be, like, a fair amount of spice in my Mm -hmm. romance novels. Um, Something about the combination of all of those factors got me on a binge. And this all started when my husband had COVID over Christmas break, and I was, Mm -hmm. like, heartbroken because we couldn't go home to my parents' house because he had COVID, and I had to take care of my child. And so I would 
like listen to all these Lisa Kleypas books and like read them late at night while he was like lying in his room and she was asleep. Um, and so what I found they worked really well for was use cases where I wanted to be completely disconnected from the internet. I knew there was going to be no like usefulness to me of like consuming these books. Like I read, I do read other kinds of books, <laughs> other books and you know, I'm reading them to write about on slate or possibly, you know, maybe I write, might like create a working relationship with the writer or run an excerpt or like there's like some sort of like work situation like in my mind in relationship to them. And romance novels are not like that. There's they're not useful. I don't remember them, retain them or like think about them <laughs> um, after I'm done with them, which I know is like a function of novels. Like a lot of novels are like that, like for people that people that don't read romance novels probably have that experience. You know, I've spoken with people who have managed to find that like oblivion in other kinds of books. And I think I used to find it in science fiction. And now mm. I've like become like a freak for these kinds of books <laughs> that are, that have this like specific combination of romance and sex. Um, and the reason I say, I think it's gone kind of bad is that I will sometimes like, uh, you know, my family will be watching a movie in, in one room and I'll like vanish into the other room and re be reading, reading a romance novel on my, on my phone. And my child will be like, why aren't you watching, you know, Home Alone with us? And I'll mm -hmm. be like, I'm reading. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, uh, I don't know. Is that toxic reading? Like, I don't know. Some people would, some people would say that there's no such thing as toxic reading. Like that anything that yeah. you read is like good for your brain and, and good for your, for your life. Um, but sometimes I wonder. I want to ask more about what are kind of the ingredients to your perfect romance novel? Like if you had a list of check marks, what are what are the things that kind of hit that criteria? And are there any books this year that you felt like, oh, yeah, they're checking the marks? I mean, I, I just have to say, like, there has to be sex in it. Like, like yes. there. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think there's like a fine line. Like, I found certain writers. Like, I found this writer Elizabeth Hoyt who writes historical novels. Like, I like it when in in a historical novel, there's like, you know, consideration of like who's doing the dishes right. <laughs> and like who's like sweeping the kitchen. And, right. and Elizabeth Hoyt is good at that. There's always like cobwebs in the house that need to be like eradicated, um, <laughs> which would have definitely been the case in the 1750s. Um, <laughs> But I also, I found her by looking for, you know, novels that have like significant erotic scenes in them. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of the more contemporary books, I feel like that are sort of sold in airports sure. a little bit more yeah. that have the kinds of covers that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, some of them are like a little bit less spicy for me, um, which I don't enjoy as much. Um, <laughs> it's kind of gross to admit like in public that you're the kind of person who like appreciates it when the sex scenes in a book are like fairly frequent and like yeah. creative, like kind of interesting and not just uh, like rote. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sex scenes serve this purpose of telling us what we want from intimacy and partners. And I want to get to that. But first, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what happens when book talk crosses over into the real world. And we're back. So, Rebecca, I kind of wanted to ask you about the state of thirst in 2023 because 
listeners, if you remember in August, we did this episode about the hockey talk scandal. You know, it started in like spring, early summer when hockey themed romance novels were definitely like enjoying this rise in the book talk charts, a rise that led to an influx of new fans into the hockey community. I think one specific book that led this charge was Icebreaker by Hannah Grace. And there was one team in particular who followed that rise, and it was the Seattle Krakens. They kind of became like the unofficial team of book talk when they had one player named Alex Winberg who received, let's say, special attention from book talk. Um, Basically, there were content creators like Kira Lewis who were kind of making, let's say, some sexualized commentary towards Winberg and... It was happening on TikTok, but it was also kind of encouraged in the comments by the Seattle Kraken who flew Lewis out to games. And all of this kind of changed when Wenberg's wife kind of jumped in and asked fans to stop posting sexualized content about her husband, a request that kind of sent Hockey Talk into a tailspin asking whose side are you on? And it kind of definitely made us question if we're in an era of like loud, overt female desire, and at what point does this go from thirsting out loud to harassment? And so I kind of wanted to ask you, Rebecca, about that whole scandal. What were your thoughts on it? And do you think just this rise of like thirsting out loud maybe has something to do with Gen Z finally getting their hands on romance novels or something like that? I think the Seattle Kraken totally threw that creator under the bus is my, my thought on that situation. Um, they were so happy to have this like, uh, like unleashed force of fandom in an unexpected place. And they, they encouraged it 100% and whatever. I, I, I do think it was kind of annoying that she was the one who ended up getting, uh, singled out for it. Um, yeah. funny part about that whole scandal was that, People were covering book talk who were like ESPN.com or, right. you know, these like, uh, like sports outlets. Um, some outlet interviewed another a romance novel reader who was like, you know, this kind of behavior doesn't represent us. Like, this isn't, you know, who we are as a community, which was interesting because I was like, oh, the same like respectability politics is like kind of like, um, being played here. Like certain romance readers don't want to be sort of like tagged as being similar to book talk, um, yeah, which yeah. I believe this is not the only time that book talk has sort of gone a little wild with like public thirst towards mm-hmm. other people on TikTok. It's interesting to me because I, I feel like performing thirst towards heroes of romance novels is such a specific and nerdy, mm-hmm. <laughs> nerdy, like, t- like thing to do. Like I, until I started sort of interacting with the world a little bit more. I never even heard anyone do it. Like, I, yeah. I'm not sure I would have known where to see that occurring. Performing thirst towards celebrities is like very common now, yes. or so it seems to yes. me. Um, and I think, I think it must be Gen Z Candace. Like, I'm sure that it is. <laughs> I'm sure it's a generational thing because I do will not do it online. Well, that's partly because I'm married and my husband would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is kind of embarrassing for me. Um, yeah. But I I also feel like um, there's a cathartic feeling to it. Um, it reminds me of when I was younger and at sleepovers or in like college dorms with people and like identifying people that we thought were cute and kind of like getting excited about it. And mm-hmm. in some ways, it's like, a very like sort of pure vibe um, and like excited vibe. Um, And then, but then on the internet, any pure vibe can be sort of bent towards um, too much. 
Yeah. I don't know. Are you publicly thirsty towards romance <laughs> novel heroes or anybody else? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because, like you said, thirsting over celebrities in my blood. In my bones, in my DNA. And I think it's a lot more publicly accepted. I think maybe the disconnect when it comes to book talk is that, to me at least, reading is such an intimate, personal thing where it's like my read of this character may not be the same read as your read of the character. And therefore, I don't know if we're really loving, thirsting, crushing over the same person. But I think maybe the flaw of this whole scandal was the fact that Social media, book talk, it has kind of allowed Gen Z to animate the fantasy for as long as possible until it crosses over into pushback or a little bit of criticism, especially when it comes from the person who's being thirsted after being like, hold on, hold on. Like, I'm not a character on a page. I can talk to you because you've been screaming at me at my hockey games, my place of work. And that's like a very real thing that I think... Gen Z and I guess book talk needed to confront, which is that like the world that we've created in our heads, the characters we've kind of like maladaptive dreamed about, they are totally fine to exist in our fantasies and kind of be, I guess, mirrors of what we're looking for, what we want to be. But some people don't read the source text, a.k.a. that hockey player. And some people just want to do their job. And maybe we should ask some questions before posting said TikTok. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think what's interesting about it, too, is that, um, you know, part of maybe not the hockey player, Alex Wemberg's job, but like a celebrity, like a Timothy Chalamet's job right. is to be thirsted after. Yes. Um, like to create that feeling, which is also what the romance writers are doing. Like they're trying mm-hmm. to create that feeling um in you and so what you do with that feeling is like what people are trying to figure out how to do on the internet um and as with so many other things it's so easy to go wrong um when you're with other people who are sort of feeling the same strong feelings and then writers and journalists come in who aren't native to book talk like me (laughs) although i try not to write about it because i don't know i'm not on it but i know every time i sort of get close to it i'm like oh yeah, people are like reporting on this who aren't native to it. Yeah. And there's that problem too. Yeah, yeah. Now, Rebecca, another brave thing you said in a Slate Slack channel once is that you are considering not reading any romance novels this new year. And I can't believe you said something so controversial yet so brave. What made you consider this? And where do you stand right now? I would love to be strong enough not to. Mm. Um, I think it would be good for me. I don't know if you've ever had this like situation with a habit where you, you know, you're doing it for a long time and you're thinking to yourself for a long time, like, oh, this probably isn't good. Um, And then it just takes a little while to sort of like switch out of the, out of the, the rut. Um, I just need to figure out what else there is that, that fills that same spot. Like Mm. what else there is that's absolutely meaningless um, <laughs> it used to be sort of, I, I, you know, I've like gone through periods of using particular podcasts for that. Um, oh. and maybe I'll need to find some, an, another, you know, like once it was, how did this get made? The movie podcast, it was like, you know, that kind of same spot, but maybe I could only have one a week instead of two a week. <laughs> Can I also ask thoughts on audio yeah. erotica like Dipsy? I've not got into that. I know mm-hmm. people like that. Yeah. 
Have you? Uh, you know, I'll profess on pod just to you, Rebecca. I have definitely heard some audio. I've heard some audio. Um, let me just say very climax forward. Not a lot of setup, not a lot of foreplay. Mm. And that is one thing where it's like, I I need characterization. <laughs> I need some characterization. I need a slow burn. I need to know, like, what do you do for work? Where are you from? Did your dad tell you he wasn't proud of you? Like, what what gets us here? What gets us here? Yes, I know. I need there to be stakes between the two characters. Like, exactly. I mean, it's like a cliche to say, but it's like the things that hold the couple apart in the romance novel. Like, the elimination of those obstacles is like part of the sex. Exactly. Um, and so if it's... So, like, you know, I mean, one thing that you could say about, oh, I'm not going to read anymore in 2024 is, like, I could just, like, revisit the highlights on my Kindle and all my old Lisa Kleypas books and, like, look at the sex scenes that I highlighted. Um, (laughs) I'm just embarrassing myself. But, you know, it really doesn't, say uh, like, pack the same punch if you didn't, like, see the whole thing develop, like, situation after situation. Yes. Um, And then the sex comes in the middle of those situations. So, Rebecca, I want to end this episode on a good note. Is there a book from 2023 that you would maybe say is one of your favorites, one that you would maybe recommend people revisit? Is there one title you'd love to give our listeners? Okay, so I mean, these were not published in 2023, but the aforementioned Lisa Kleypas the mm. uh, historical romance writer. She has a series called The Ravenels that's about mm. a family. Now, this is a thing historicals writers, actually all romance writers love to do, which is to have a family full of like beautiful people who one by right. one over the course of a series, a la the Bridgertons, get married. Yes. Um, yes. And the Ravenels are a Victorian family. They're living in um, in the country. And they are sort of left without money through a series of deaths. And it's about all the sort of people in the generation um, meeting people and marrying them. Um, and I really loved it. And it's very transporting. And as with all these like family series, it's also about the dynamics between the brothers and sisters and the way that the, the sort of like extended family gets built, um, which I love to read about. So I'll recommend mm-hmm. The Ravenels. And you should read it too, even though you don't like history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Lisa Kleypas is the one author that I would be willing to dip in for, this is definitely on my 2024 TBR list to be read. So I think what I'll recommend is a book that is coming out, which is the fifth book in the Magnolia Park series. It's called Into the Dark. The series is by Jessa Hastings, and she basically wrote a series about a group of Nepo babies who are like if Gossip Girl was rebooted in London. And the series has been book talk hyped, and I'm going to be really honest. Please do not expect like Pulitzer Prize winning literature here. It is vibes only, but the vibes are good. And so... I recommend that you start the series as soon as you can, because not only is it like fast and very page turny, got me out of several slumps, but A24, they bought the rights to turn into a TV show. And so if Gossip Girl 2.0 is down, this will be the thing that fills its place. And so listeners, get going on Magnolia Parks. I'm actually pretty sure you could finish this book and this series in like a week if you're like, you know, bored at work, bored at work. You definitely could finish it in a week. Yeah. (laughs) What about on a family vacation? (laughs) Oh, a million percent. I will say one thing, though, Rebecca. Not many sex scenes. Hmm. 
Boo. I know, I know, I know. So you just gotta, you just gotta, you just gotta pretend them in your mind. You see, <laughs> you need to write the fan fiction after, after you finish. <laughs> Okay, that's the show. I want to thank Slate's senior editor, Rebecca Onion, for joining me on today's episode. You can read more of Rebecca's work on Slate.com, where she writes about Reddit librarians coming after the Scholastic Book Fair, the college party vibes of the Buccaneers, and Khloe Kardashian's pantry. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod. And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online or at the TikTok charts bookshelf. <laughs>